Well, good evening. Welcome back to Long Hill Baptist Church. If you would stand with me, turn to number 655. so much for the opportunity uh, to be in church this evening. Lord, I pray that we would uh, come both humbly but also joyfully into your house this evening. I pray as we continue to sing that we would worship you in spirit and truth. And as we listen to your word, may we not just be hearers but doers as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would remain standing, we're going to go right into our next song. <clears throat> It'll be hymn number 340. My faith has found the rest of
Well, good evening. Is it enough that Jesus died and that he died for you? According to the Bible, it is. Amen. Good to have my dad with us tonight. Hello, dad. Don't look at him. He'll be embarrassed. <laughs> He's waving. Uh, we had a good trip down from Rochester on Friday. It was a good trip up. It was a good trip back. And uh, I don't need that. Thank, thank Oh, you need that. Okay. <laughs> you need that. Okay. Uh, forgive me. Uh, we got down without incident, right? No, no problems. Driving the van up through the, the mountains in western Massachusetts, Gary, was a little scary at a couple of points. That van is kind of tall. It has a high profile. And the wind took it a couple of times, and I wasn't expecting that. You know, that can be a little scary, Brother Garcia. But uh, other than that, the trip was uneventful. We got here and had some help to get Dad's stuff moved in yesterday. He did a lot of stuff, and he didn't even bring much of it. Most of it didn't even come, did it? But, uh, yes, sir. He probably doesn't want to be acknowledged publicly, but he, he was a great help. <laughs> he was a great help, though. We appreciate you very much, brother. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, again, for your prayers for Dad. I, I know everyone's been praying for him, and Marilyn, I suspect you'll keep praying, pray, praying, there we go, praying for him, so thank you very much. Um, we're going to open in prayer. You th you're going to preach tonight, right? I should have confirmed that before now. I think you have a, a device that you're going to use as an illustration, too, it looks like, maybe, maybe, okay. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you tonight, uh, Lord, for uh, your grace, for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you tonight for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you tonight for this church and for each one who's come out tonight. Lord, um, thank you for, for folks who are uh, committing themselves to uh, restoring, remaking the habit of being uh, out at church on Sunday night. Lord, I, I ask tonight that you would bless each one for their faithfulness to you. Father, we thank you for uh, Dad, for getting him here safely, and pray that you'll just continue to help him as he settles in here. And Thank you that he's able to be here tonight. Um, we're grateful. We're grateful for him. Lord, I pray tonight for Zachary, and I pray that um, you help him to bring the message that you've laid upon his heart. I pray that uh, you calm any nerves and just help him, Lord, to, to look to you for uh, calm and, and grace and strength tonight. I pray you give him liberty, Lord, to, to bring the message that you've laid upon his heart. and Use him now, Father, exactly as you intend. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you, and I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Zachary. Just in case I get tired. <laughs> well, good evening. It's good to be back again, two weeks in a row. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to... Matthew chapter number 8. We're going to get right into it. Matthew chapter number 8. Uh, once you've found it, if you would stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter number 8. Don't worry, this is the only passage I'll make you stand for. We're going to be doing a little bit of flipping again. Matthew chapter number 8. Once you're there, let's uh, go to verse number 5, and we'll begin reading. Matthew chapter number 8, beginning in verse 5, says, And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that, fo that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be in your house physically, Lord. We thank you uh, for making it possible. Lord, I pray as we study 
the subject of biblical faith. What is biblical faith? Lord, I pray that you would just hide me behind yourself, that your, your, <clears throat> excuse me, that your word would not return void as you promise. And I pray that you would convict us where that's needed, Lord, but also comfort us where that's needed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I was um, considering what illustration I wanted to begin with, and uh, for some of you it, it may be a repeat, but I think it, it bears a, a great illustration of this term, biblical faith. Um, many of us are familiar with the name Jim Elliot, right? Jim Elliot. Um, he was a missionary to the Aka Indians in, in Ecuador, and he's famous for his saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Raise your hand if you've heard, heard that before. Okay, so that's a, that's a common saying. But it wasn't a one-man mission, was it? He was joined by Peter Yodarian, Ed McCoy, Peter Fleming, and perhaps most importantly, a man named Nate Saint. You see, Nate Saint grew up near Hershey, Pennsylvania, and when he was only seven years old, he fell in love with flying and began to take uh, flights with his brother, Sam. However, when he, he was young, he uh, unfortunately developed a disease that would eventually take his life, right? Um, his, his, uh, his desire for flying eventually um, gave him the desire to be into, into the military, okay? So he goes into the military, and his desire was to be a military pilot, right? Um, but unfortunately, this disease would continue to keep him from his dreams. Um, while he was at the military base, there was someone who would come and, and preach there. Sometimes he would hear it on the radio. Sometimes they would physically come and preach the Bible. And having heard the gospel message many times, uh, Nate Sate eventually got saved. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And having done that, he began to become more tender to the Lord's work in his life. It, it, the, his desire was not just to do his own will, it became to do the will of the Lord. And so he began to hear about um, the need for missionary pilots, missionary pilots, pilots who would take missionaries to a foreign land where they could hear more about the gospel. And so having worked on Nate Saint's heart, Nate Saint finally surrendered to the call of becoming a missionary pilot. Thankfully, the Lord was able to uh, give Nate Saint health to where he would be able to take a step of faith and be involved what is um, in the mission that was called Operation Aka, and that's the one that we um, know most famously. Now, unfortunately, we know how the story ends. They get there, and then almost immediately they, they perish. They're killed by, by the Indians there. But we also know that that's not actually where it ends. We know that they were able to open a door there and that many of these Indian people would eventually become saved, right? And we praise the Lord for that. And one of the reasons that all these Indian people were able to be saved, one of the reasons was due to the faith of a man like Nate Saint. And so today, I want to study with you the word faith. And what does biblical faith mean? And it's our message structure is going to be very similar to that which we um, looked at last week. We looked at biblical compassion, right? Your hurt and my heart that produced what? A charitable action, right? And so today we're going to consider why we should care about this word faith at all. We'll see how it's used in the world, and then we'll also see how we should understand it biblically and some examples that help us understand why. So the first question we're going to examine today is why should we care about this word faith? Why, why is, again, why is this a message that we should um, be laser focused on and actually pay attention to again? Well, first, I think we should consider the first, the first passage that we looked at. This is one of the only times where we see Jesus, man in the flesh, marveling at another man and what he did. We saw that Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion. And we're going to look more at that when we look at our examples. But the very fact that God marveled at this man's faith, I think, alone um, should cause us pause and wonder why would Jesus marvel at his faith? Another and perhaps more important and direct way is that um, many of us know what Hebrews 11:6 6 says. The Bible says, but without... 
faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, why would that be important? Well, as we're reminded so often in our church, Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We're reminded constantly that our very being, our very uh, purpose in life is to bring pleasure to God. And we have a verse that goes with that that says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So as Christians, as we're looking to see, Lord, how can I bring you pleasure? Well, the Lord tells us directly through faith. He's giving us a, a direct answer as to how we can bring him pleasure. So those are some of the reasons why we want to consider it. Now, another thing I want us to consider as we begin is how do we define faith? Maybe you have some preconceived notions of how you would define it. Um, I asked another small group of people how they would define faith, and, and again, I got some very interesting answers, uh, ranging from unseen trust, taking God at his word and acting on it, reliance, and then I had another answer that you, you may realize was from a pastor. This was a good one. Um, it says, um, it says, it says, taking God at his word, acting on it. And what he said was, is that faith is believing that God can or will do something when we don't understand one or more of these following. The who, the what, the where, the when, the why, or the how. When we don't understand even just one of those things, faith is when we choose to act even when we don't understand those things. A confidence in the Lord and and God. And so these are all valid these are all valid definitions of faith. Absolutely. But today what we're going to do is we're going to dig deep into the Bible and, and see what a true biblical worldview definition is going to be. Before we do that though, I want us to consider how does the world consider the word faith? Faith is not just a Bible term. It's it's a term that the world will use. Um, for example, someone may say oh, I have faith in you, you know, go get them, I got faith in you. Well, what are they saying? They're saying that they trust them. They're saying that, they're, that in a sense, they're proud of them and that they believe that they can accomplish a certain task, right? So we see this idea of confidence coming through again. Um, when Samantha and I get married in December, we will be taking vows to be what? To be faithful to each other. That's another common word. And what does that mean? It means that when we're married, we'll seek a marital relationship with only each other. Our spouse, we're going to be faithful to each other. So again, these are some of the ways that the world uses the word faithful. And today, we're going to examine what biblical faith is. And so first, we're going to examine a definition based on the Bible. Second, we'll look at some examples of faith in the Bible. And then third, we'll look and see how this can be fleshed out in our own lives. How can we show faith in our own lives? <clears throat> the word faith is found 247 times in the Bible. When we looked at compassion, it was found 39 times. And we said, you know what? If a word is found in the Bible 39 times, it's worth looking at. But the word faith is multiple times that, 247 times in our King James Bible. And Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines faith this way. He says, belief, the assent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another, resting on his authority and veracity without other evidence, the judgment that with other states or testifies is the truth. And just like last time, that's a lot of words. And so what I want us to be able to do is kind of bring the, the, the low-hanging fruit, be able to understand what, what that actually means. And the way we looked at it last time and the way we'll look at it again um, today is we're going to look at um, the Hebrew words that are used for um, faith and also the Greek word that's used for faith. The first Hebrew word that we'll see used for faith is a moon. So you think about the moon in, in the sky, a moon. And what does it mean? It simply means to be trusting, okay? Again, that's a word that we can understand, trusting. And then the second Hebrew word that's used for faith is a munah, a munah which literally means firmness, fidelity, and steadfastness. Again, these are words that, that we can understand. So being trusting, someone who is firm and steadfast. 
Now, the Greek word for compassion used in the New Testament is pistis, and that may be a more familiar one to you. Um, the Greek word pistis has two main definitions. Um, the first definition is conviction of the truth of something. So you're convicted in your heart that what's being said is true. And the second one is belief with the prominent idea of trust or confidence that springs out of that original belief. So what does that mean? That means that they're going to take action based on something that they believe. They're going to take action based on something that they believe. However, as we're considering what faith means, we must understand that it has more to do than just believing. The, the word faith a lot of times is often synonymously used with, with belief, but we must understand that it's more than belief, and that's why I have my chair here for a quick illustration, okay? So here's, I want to illustrate it very quickly this way. So I can believe that there's a chair there, right? Do you believe that there's a chair there? Amen. There is a chair there. We believe that. Now, I can believe that if I sit in that chair, it's not going to crumble to a million pieces, right? Um, but in order for me to actually sit in that chair, I have to believe and trust that it's going to hold me up, right? So it's not enough for me to believe that it's here. I have to When I sat in it, that was me trusting that this chair was going to hold me up. Do you see the difference? I believe that it's there, but in order to actually sit in it, I had to trust that it was going to hold up a big guy like me. <laughs> All right? Amen. So that's the difference between just believing and actually having faith in something. Now, remember, we're often also told the fact that um, Satan, he believes in, in God, right? We know that he believes in Jesus, but does he have faith in Christ? Can he, even, can he even place faith and have saving faith in Christ? No, they don't even have the ability to. It's not even an option. Many of you may be thinking, okay, we, we've talked a lot about the definition. Let's get into the Bible. I agree. Let's get into the Bible. Let's go to Hebrews chapter number 11. As many of you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes considered the, the faith hall of fame, right? The faith hall of fame. And so we're going to look no further than Hebrews chapter number 11. And here, when you ask many people how, how would they define faith, well, they'll say, you know what, just go to Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 1. And so what does the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 11? It says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so that's what the Bible says, but at first glance, that may be a little bit hard for us to understand. What exactly is the writer of Hebrews trying um, to teach us, okay? So let's break down this verse a little bit, and maybe we'll have a better understanding of what faith is. And so the writer of Hebrews says, now, faith is the substance, okay? That word substance has the idea of the confidence of something, okay? So if you're taking notes, you can write substance equals the confidence, okay? That's how we're defining substance. It says, of things hoped for. When we think of the word hope, today I might say, boy, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. There's a, there's a certain amount of uncertainty there. I don't know if it's going to rain tomorrow or not. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. But in the Bible, hope was a certain thing. If you said, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow, using my silly example, that would mean that they know for sure, 100%, that it's not going to rain tomorrow. So we must understand that biblical hope is almost, in a sense, the complete opposite of the way we use it today. That's why it's important for us to understand biblical hope had a 100% certainty. So when he says of things hoped for, these are things that are certain. And then... He says, things hope for the evidence of things not seen. This word evidence has the idea of proof. You know, sometimes you'll hear the, the phrase, the proof is in the pudding. This is the proof. This evidence is the word proof. And so when we take all of our definitions and bring them together, we could define faith as being the confidence of things that are certain to happen, the proof of things unseen. Again, we're not rewriting the Bible. We're just helping each other to understand what it means. Faith is the confidence of things that are certain to happen, the proof of things unseen. In May, 
Lord willing, I will graduate from New England Baptist College, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, one of my favorite parts of attending New England Baptist College was always being able to sit under the teaching of Dr. Barry Brown. Now, I know for many of you, you've not only been able to sit under his teaching, but he was your pastor, um, and you have a great relationship with him, and so you'll know when I say that he is a man that you can respect not only as a mentor, but as a friend as well, and he certainly has been that to me. And he was able to take this concept of faith and pack it into five small words. Um, and it's a definition of faith that I've always, I've always appreciated. And it's literally this, taking God at his word. And I know that that's not probably original. I'm sure Pastor has defined it that way too. But I, I heard it first from him, taking God at his word. And so here's the simple working definition of faith I want us to use today. We've, gotten, we've said all this to get to this point. The simple working definition of faith we're going to use is taking God at his word and acting upon it. Taking God at his word and acting upon it. Would you repeat that after me? Taking God at his word and acting upon it. That's the definition of faith that we're going to use this evening. Now, having that definition, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some biblical examples. How in the Bible do we see this type of faith fleshed out? How do we see it used? First, we're going to go here. If you're already in Hebrews um, 11, let's look at verse number 7. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 7 says, By faith Noah, be warned of God that things of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, preparing an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the of the righteousness which is by faith. And so our first example of faith is going to be Noah. It's going to be Noah. We were, we were going to go back to the, the passage and read it all, but there was a different passage I want to get into a little bit more detail. And so we all know the story of Noah, right? We know that he is a great example of faith. Now, why is that? Well, do we remember the context? We see that all men were doing evil in God's sight, right? If you were to go back to Genesis chapter number 6, you'd see that all men were doing evil in God's sight. And so what does God decide to do? Well, he's a righteous and a just God, and he decides to destroy the world through a flood, right? Um, but God spares a couple people, right? He spares Noah and his family. And what, is, what does God ask Noah to do? God asks Noah to build an ark because there was going to be a flood. But here's the thing we have to understand. It had never rained before. Noah didn't know what rain was. Imagine being told that you have to build this huge monstrosity of an ark for something that you don't even know exists. But what was he going to do? He was going to take God at his word and act upon it. And that's exactly what we see Noah doing. He takes God at his word. He gets his his gopher wood, which I always think is kind of funny, his gopher wood, and uh, he gets his tar, and, they, and he makes what we know as Noah's Ark, right? One of the most iconic um, symbols in the Bible. Noah took God at his word and faithfully built the Ark. I wonder if we were Noah, would we have done the same thing? I wonder. Um, it's a good question to ask ourselves. Would we have done the same thing? As you consider that, Let's go to verse number 8 in Hebrews um, chapter number 11. We're going to move on to our next example. The Bible says in verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should, uh, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had, which had um, let's start over <laughs> verse number 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is who? Is God. Yes. I remember um, we were in in Hebrews class. Learned a lot in Hebrews class. I'm not just saying that because the teacher is here. And remember, the whole point of Hebrews is to show how Jesus Christ is better than blank. And I remember we looked at the idea that um, Moses was better than, or excuse me, that Jesus is better than Moses because Moses was the building, but 
God or Jesus was the builder, right? When you look at a building, you can see the creation, but who gets the credit? It's the builder. And so I, I just remember that um, was a cool thing. Um, Jesus is better than everything, and uh, he deserves the preeminence because of that. So we see Abraham here. Imagine being told to leave your house, get in your car, drive west, and, uh, oh, by the way, I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Just keep driving, and I'll tell you when you're there, right? Imagine that. Again, I wonder, would we have the faith to, especially those who have families with young children? You know, and a lot of times, sometimes God does this. He calls people to be missionaries. They don't know where they're going to go. He says, just surrender to my call to be a missionary, and I'll, and I'll tell you where to, where to go. Um, I'll tell you where to go. And, um, for example, my, one of my best friends, Sean Myers, right? He was called to be a missionary, right? And he didn't know exactly where God was going to call him. He grew up in Africa, but he didn't know that that's where God was going to call him. And sure enough, uh, the Lord did call him to go there. But he and his wife-to-be, Elizabeth, they had to just say, Lord, here am I. Send me, right? And they did that, and praise the Lord, uh, they're going to be married in the middle of this summer. And uh, hopefully, not after too long, they're going to be back on the field continuing to win souls just like their family did um, many years ago. So we praise the Lord for that. Now, Abraham actually gets a couple of um, honorable mentions here in the Hall of Fame. It's not only this, this passage. We also see, um, starting in verse 17, Abraham gets another mention. Let's read that. Beginning in verse number 17, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, that he would have received the promises offered up um, his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Okay, so do we remember that account back in Genesis chapter number 22? Genesis chapter number 22 is close to my heart personally because the first message that I ever preached was out of Genesis chapter number 22. And um, here we see what? God calls Abraham to make a sacrifice, right? And who was going to be sacrificed? His, his only begotten son, right? His, his son, and so what does Abraham do? Does he say, no, that's, that's insane, Lord. I'm not going to do that. No. What does he do? He takes God at his word, and he acts on it, right? And so he, um, they, they bundle the sticks. They get their donkeys. They, he takes Isaac. They go up to the, the top of the mountain there. And he doesn't get, um, excuse me, that's not what I want to say. What I meant to say was, he gets pretty far, right? He, he's bound Isaac. He's about to slay him, but then what happens? The angel of the Lord, God, calls out to him and says, do the child or the son no harm, right? And, and so he's wondering, well, you've got me this far. What's going to happen? How am I going to make my sacrifice? And the Lord says, I will provide myself a sacrifice, right? And sure enough, he looks off into the distance, and what does he see? He sees a ram caught in the thickets, right? And man, what a picture that is. Not only the fact that Isaac was his only begotten son, right? That's obviously a picture of Jesus. But the fact that he was about to be slain, but then there was a substitute provided for him, right? There was a substitute provided for him. And we see here um, in verse number 19, it says, also he received him in a figure. And I believe that's talking about, there, there's this picture, right, of, of Isaac um, being like Christ. And that whole, that whole account is a wonderful um, foretelling of what Jesus Christ would do for us. He would be our substitute. And so because Abraham was willing to what? Take God at his word and act, he was then able to be used as a great foretelling of the coming of Christ. And so um, I appreciate Abraham's faithfulness in that because it's a wonderful picture for us. This morning, we heard a lot about Moses, right? And we're not, we're not going to get away from Moses just yet. Uh, Moses, I believe, has some of the most mentions here in Hebrews number, uh, chapter number 11. Let's, um, let's just read the verses, and then we'll talk about them a little bit. Hebrews chapter number 11, beginning in verse number 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. We saw that last week. 
because they saw it was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What a verse. Verse number 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he, endure, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And then lastly, in verse number 28, it says, Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest, that, um, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should, be, um, should touch them. Right? Um, so, forgive me for my stumbling there. But um, what we see here is that Moses' life was a life that was marked by what? Faith. We see all throughout his life. Was he a perfect man? No, we saw that this morning. Um, most of the time, we wouldn't call a murderer a perfect man, right? But his life was marked by faith. We see that um, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Because he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And that's a verse that's always um, stood out to me. You know, am I willing to suffer um, in this life, or am I going to choose to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? You know, um, that's a lifetime choice, but that's also a day-to-day -day choice, right? We can choose to um, have faith, and sometimes having faith in this world causes us to suffer, or we can choose to just enjoy the pleasures of, of sin for a season. But if you ask anyone who's on their deathbed, who, who had a, a better life, I can guarantee you, the man who chose to suffer for Christ will have less regrets than the man to choose to live a life in sin, right? So, by faith, what did Moses do? He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of God. We see that he kept the Passover, and if we had kept reading on, we'd see that, what, what's one of the things that Moses is most known for? They passed through the Red Sea, right? They come to this sea, they have to get through it, and imagine standing in front of a body of water that you certainly wouldn't be able to get through, and having to take God at his word that he's literally going to part that sea. But what did he do? He took God at his word, and he led them through, right? He, he chose to exercise faith. A couple more illustrations, and then we'll move on. Let's go back to our centurion, Matthew chapter number 8, right? Let's just, let's just flip back there. We won't take time to read the entire account again. Um, but Matthew chapter number 8 was where we saw that. And if you're there, you'll be reminded that the centurion has a servant, right? Um, he needs to be healed. The centurion obviously sees that there's... Um, there's some urgency in his, in his healing being quite immediate. Um, perhaps the, the, the servant was about to die. And the centurion, what does he do? He has so much faith in Christ that he tells Jesus, just say the word and my servant would be healed. Right? He didn't even, he didn't even um, believe that Jesus would have to go and, and touch him like many times that Jesus would have. The centurion just said, just say the word. He had that much faith. And what does Jesus do? He marvels at this faith. Um, he marvels at it. And Jesus commends the faith of this man. And again, I, I believe that's truly a, another example of why we should pay so much attention to faith, because God made an example of someone who had faith. If it matters to God, it should matter to us, right? Plain and simple. If it matters to God, it should matter um, to us. And so we see Jesus commending this faith and made an example of just say the word and he'll be healed. Our last illustration we're going to look at today is going to be, we're in Matthew already, right? Let's go to Matthew chapter number 14. I appreciate you being willing to flip with me. Matthew chapter number 14 and let's look at verse number 22. Familiar passage once we get going. 
Matthew chapter number 14, beginning in verse number 22, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, what? Walking on the sea. Verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out in fear. They thought he, they thought he was a spirit, perhaps an evil spirit. Um, but straightway Jesus spake it to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come, into the wa- to come onto the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And then in verse number 32, it says, And when they were come into the ship, the wind what ceased. Jesus enters the ship the wind cease. So imagine being on that boat, right? You have no idea who's walking on water. That's not something you'd see every day, right? None of us saw that happen um, this year, last year, or ever before, right? And so they see this man walking on water, and they're afraid. But Jesus, just like he always does, he calms them, right? He says, hey, don't, don't be afraid, for it is I. And they would have recognized his voice, right? Um, the Bible says that the, the shepherd recognizes his sheep's voice, and they recognize the shepherd's voice, right? So they would have recognized his, his voice. And Jesus and Peter, we know Peter. <laughs> he, he's, uh, he always likes to be very gung-ho about things. He says, you know what? If it's really you, let me come onto the water. Let, let me do what you're doing. Let, let, let me see this, right? And so Jesus invites him to come onto the water with him, right? And so... Here's something I want us to consider. Peter taking that step onto the water would have taken a lot of faith, right? Because any other time you step out of a boat into water, what do you do? You immediately start sinking. And may I remind us that they aren't in calm seas, are they? What does the Bible say in verse number 24? It says, And the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. They're in the middle of a, of a storm here, and in the midst of all this, Jesus is inviting Peter to come walk on the water with him. I think sometimes when we, when we imagine this, we, don't, we forget that the storm is still going on when, when he's invited onto the water. And so Peter, what does he do? He literally takes a step of faith, right? He takes a step of faith. He walks out onto the water, and does he sink immediately? No. He takes a step of faith, right? He acts on it. And he doesn't start sinking until what? Until he, until he sees what's around him. He takes his eyes off of who? Jesus puts them onto the storm, and what happens? He begins to sink. When we have our eyes on Jesus, it's easy to be faithful. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, it's easy to sink. Um, when we have our eyes on Jesus, it's easy to live a life of faith. When we take them off, it's easy to not live a life of faith, right? And so I wonder, again, if we were Peter, would we have taken the first step? Maybe we would. Maybe our faith is strong. Maybe we would have walked on on the water. Maybe we would have been standing there in the sea with Jesus. But would we, just like Peter, having seen the storm around us, begin to sink? Are Are we concerned? Are we worried? Are we taking our eyes off of Jesus to look at the things around us? Hey, we live in hard times now, right? We live in uncertain times. You know, I I work at Staples, and over the loudspeaker, you're constantly hearing them say, in these uncertain times, it's like, yes, thank you for the reminder, (laughs) you know, every day. We we know that we're living in a a particularly trying time, but the question would be, are we going to keep our eyes on Jesus and maintain our faith? Remember, 
Keeping our eyes on Jesus is what helps our faith. Or are we going to take our eyes off of Jesus and begin to uh, allow our lives to be, be swelled up with fear? We have a choice every day, right? Every day we have a, we have a new choice. It's not, it's not a choice. We can make a choice today that, hey, for the next year I'm going to do it. But every day we're given a new opportunity to make the decision. Are we going to live by faith or are we going to allow ourselves to sink? Christ gives us the strength to not sink, amen, if we trust in him. We'll wrap up quickly now by answering just a couple questions. How can and should we have biblical faith in our own lives, right? We've seen what biblical faith is. It's taking God at his word and acting upon it. We've seen these great examples of people who had faith. We also saw an example of someone who didn't and the consequences of that. Now, how can we take biblical faith and apply it, right? How can we choose to have biblical faith? Well, first, we must understand that the most important way we can exercise faith is saving faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Nothing that we can do is going to save us, right? That's what the gospel says. Nothing that we can do, no good, is going to save us. We're saved through what? Faith. And if there was ever any question in our mind what that word means, we now understand. It's taking God at his word and acting upon it. Faith is the main part of what? The main part of the salvation equation. How does someone become saved? Perhaps there's someone here who has never placed their faith in Christ alone. Well, in order for someone to be saved, they must first understand that there's a problem, right? In order for there to be a solution to something, there has to be a a problem that needs to be solved. Well, the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned. What does that word sin mean? It means that we've missed the mark. There's a standard that the Lord has set in his word, and we've missed that by just telling a lie. By just taking a lustful glance, anything that we do that's against this word, the holy word of God, is what's considered a sin. The Bible doesn't lie to us. It's absolute truth, right? And so if the Bible says we've all sinned, that means that we've, we've all sinned. But unfortunately, it gets a little worse before it gets better, right? The Bible says that we must understand that there's a penalty for that sin, right? There's a penalty for that sin. The Bible says that The wages of sin is death, right? And so, of course, we all understand that none of us are going to live forever, right? At least not on this earth. None of us are going to live forever. Um, So, yes, there is a physical death, but there's also a spiritual death, right? We understand that when when we die, there's only two options, right? We can go to heaven and be with Jesus forever and worship him forever. Doesn't that sound great? Yes, but then there's the opposite, which is a very real hell. Um, A lot of times people will will remind myself and others, the Bible actually talks more about hell than it does heaven. Some people say, oh, hell isn't real. The Bible doesn't talk about it. It it talks about it more. And and it's not described as as a good place, right? It's described as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever burned yourself before? Even, even just like touching the stove, right? And sometimes you'll clench, you'll clench your teeth because it hurts so much. I remember, um, I'm remembering, remind, being reminded of, a, of an illustration. We were camping one time, and my, my buddy, he was cooking marshmallows, right, on a metal stick, okay, on a metal stick. Perhaps not the best thing to be doing. Um, he took his marshmallow off, and then for some reason, he grabbed onto that metal stick that had been over the fire for who knows how long. Guess what happened? It burned his hand severely. His hand was only on there for a few seconds, but he was in agony, not just for a couple of seconds. He was in agony for a long time. Well, let me tell you, friend, we understand that the Bible is a place of, of fire. It's a place of continual burning, and there's no, there's no escape, Right? We see the example of um, the rich man and Lazarus. What did the rich man want? He wanted one drop of water to cool his tongue, right? That's all he wanted. But we also see that this pain, and 
here on earth, when someone goes through that much pain, a lot of times they'll pass away and, and they will no longer be in existence, right? But in hell, it's, it's eternal. Right, right when you think you can't get any, in any more pain, it continues. It's an eternal punishment. All he wanted was a drop of water. Is hell real? Yes, it is. But just as real as hell is, heaven is also real, right? And we also serve a real Savior who spilled real blood for you and me, right? So we see that the wages of sin is death. That's a physical death, but it's also a spiritual death. But then we see that God did something that we talked about last week. He had compassion for us, right? He, he took our hurt and his heart, and he did a charitable action. Perhaps, I would say, by far the most charitable action anyone has ever done, and he sent his only begotten son to die in our place, right? And that's what I love about John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world. We could put our name in that verse, right? For God so loved Zach. For God so loved Pastor. For God so loved Brother Gary that he gave his only begotten son, right? So you can take the time to put your name in that verse and understand that God didn't just love everybody, he loved you that much to send his only begotten son that whosoever what believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And guess what? That word believeth is our word pistis that we looked at in the beginning. That word believe literally has this idea of faith. It's taking God at his word. Okay, so we understand that faith means taking God at his word. Well, what are we taking God at his word about? Well, the Bible says that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus died for us. He shed his blood for us. And the Bible says that if we turn from our sin and place our faith in him alone, in Christ alone, then we can know for sure that we're going to heaven, right? So what are we taking God at his word about? We're taking God at his word that if we do turn from sin, place our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, then we can know for sure that we'll have a home in heaven. And do we have to doubt that for one second? Man, I remember before um, I was truly saved, there was always a doubt in my heart. Um, you know, having grown up in a Christian home, I always thought that, you know, I was saved. But every time the gospel was preached, there was just something in me that would literally eat me alive. There was a doubt in my heart. But Having truly placed my faith in Christ, there's not a single day where I doubt that. When I hear the gospel, instead of being eaten alive, I rejoice that God did that for me, right? And man, just thinking about it gets me excited because it's so real to be able to, to hear the gospel and instead of being eaten alive, just to be able to rejoice and instead of praying for, for yourself, you're praying for others around you. You want them to have the joy that you have in your heart, right? It, it really, it changes your life in every aspect, in every aspect. So I wonder, this word faith, has there ever been a time when you placed your faith alone in Jesus Christ? Unfortunately, it's either one or the other. You either you have or you haven't. There's no, there's no middle ground. When we die, there's no middle, no middle ground, right? There's no middle place. We're either in heaven or we're in hell. I know for sure that I'm going to heaven. Why? because I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing I'd rather you do tonight than if you weren't sure of that, to make that decision so that I know that I'm gonna see you in heaven, right? There's no better, there's no better choice you can make this evening. Now, that being said, for those of us who do know Christ as our savior, what's the second way? We saw the first, what's the second way? And, and we'll close here. What's the second way that we can um, have faith in our lives? I want us to think back to the, the Peter passage, right? Maybe you're at a certain part in, in your life where God's calling you to take a, a next step of faith, right? Maybe it's, um, I don't know, allow the Lord to, to convict you, but maybe there's something that the Lord wants you to do that's going to be a next chapter in your life, and you've been hesitating, but the Lord's given you the faith to do it, and now it's time to act on it, right? So again, it's, it's taking God at his word, but also acting upon it. So maybe there's something, and again, I'm not going to necessarily um, make anything up because I want the Lord to be able to fill that blank for you, but maybe there's something that the Lord's been saying, you know what, 
it's time to, to go here, or it's time to do this, or it's time to serve here, it's time to, it's time to do this. He's given you the faith. Why not take that faith and act on it this evening? Um, and maybe the Lord's convicting you that, you know, maybe you've been procrastinating. <laughs> I call myself the king of procrastination. Um, yeah, <laughs> the king of procrastination. Um, in, in school, I could tell you stories of, you know, having to write literally multiple, multiple papers in, in one night. And, you know, some people work good under pressure, but that's not the good way to do it, okay? <laughs> um, listen, if the Lord is convicting you that you've been maybe dragging your feet on making a decision, a step of faith that he's called you to do, Number one, as pastor always says, confess it. What does that word confess mean? It means to agree with God. Say, okay, God, I agree with you. I understand. Yes, I, I've been dragging my feet. I haven't been doing it. But is it enough just to agree? No, because you could agree with him all day long, but he wants you to, his desires for you to actually act on that, right? So you agree with him. You confess, yes, Lord, okay, I, I haven't been doing what you want me to do. Would you give me the strength to do it? We saw last week, we can't have compassion in ourselves, right? We may be able to muster up a little bit of strength to do it, but if we're going to live a life of compassion, we have to trust God to do that. If we're going to live a life that's marked by faith, where we continually make faithful decisions, that's going to have to be a life that's marked by spirit filling, right? The Lord is going to have to fill us, and we're going to have to be obedient to him. In conclusion... We defined biblical faith, taking God at his word and acting upon it. We saw some examples of people who were faithful and how God blessed them, but then we also saw an example of someone who took their eyes off Christ and what happened there. Finally, we saw how we should be exercising faith. First, we saw that the most important exercise of faith is to put it in Christ alone for our eternal destiny, right? And again, I would beg you, if you don't know for sure there's no better time to make that decision than right now. Secondly, we saw that if we have made that decision, the best thing that we can do is to ask ourselves and allow the Lord to work in our hearts and show us what, have we, what steps of faith have we not been taking and are we going to muster strength up in ourselves? No, we're going to ask the Lord to help us. We're going to confess, we're going to agree that we've been wrong and then we're going to take God at his word and act. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to look into your word. Lord, I pray that it's been a help, even just to one person today. I pray that your work, that your will will be accomplished. And of course, Lord, may we never take any credit for that. May we always give you the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I ask you to uh, keep your eyes closed and heads bowed just for a moment. If you've not been convicted tonight that, hey, the Lord's given me faith, but I've not placed it in Christ, and I really need to do that. I understand that I'm convicted supernaturally by God. I encourage you to just take a moment and do that. Lord, I understand tonight I'm a sinner. You've shown me that in my heart, and uh, you give me faith to place that right upon Christ. So tonight, as best I understand, I'm making the decision to turn from sin to Christ and place my faith in him. Urge you to make that decision tonight if you've not. Maybe that believers uh, also tonight. There's there's been conviction that, as as Zach said, uh, you need to take a step of faith as Peter did, and you've been dragging your feet. I want to want to encourage you just to take a moment and say, Lord, that's that's true. <laughs> you've been you've been leading me and guiding me, and nudging me and urging me, but I've I've not been faithful to take that step that you've called me to. Lord, I, I confess that, and I ask you for grace tonight to to take the step you've called me. I want to give you a moment just to pray. Uh, about whatever God has laid upon your heart, and, and we'll close. We'll, we'll move on to celebrating Lord's Supper after that. But take a moment and pray, please. Lord, thank you again tonight for your faithfulness to us. Father, I thank you for it so very much. Lord, I ask you tonight that you would just continue to grow us. Just continue to grow us. I know that storm, that 
uh, Peter experienced when Christ called him out of the water. Lord, that was trial, and you, you used that, that trial to grow his faith. And Lord, of course, you use storms in our lives to do just the same. And so we thank you tonight for those opportunities to grow. And I, I pray, Lord, that we respond uh, to each trial as an opportunity for you to grow our faith. Lord, thank you so much for doing just that, for accomplishing that in our lives. Father, I thank you and pray this all in Jesus' name.